The first thing that occurred to me on reading this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is talking about a specific salt, a specific city, and a specific light. He's talking about salt as a preservative and a flavor enhancer. He's talking about a city that reveals the reign of God. He's talking about a light that draws human beings toward the truth of that reign. But salt can be bad for you, right? Bad for your health, bad for your car, bad for your clothes, bad for the roads. Salt corrodes, it raises the blood pressure, it causes you to retain water. Salt can be bad for you. And cities? Paul Gauguin once said that civilization is what makes us sick. And the ultimate symbol of civilization is the city. Cities consume more than they produce. They tend to form ghettos, marginalizing the poor and most vulnerable. Cities require boundaries, and boundaries require defending, and defending means violence. I think of Rome or Jerusalem, city on a hill. Cities can be bad for you. And light? Well, light can blind you, can burn you. It reveals your every flaw, every weakness, every secret. We wear special glasses to keep light from hurting us. We slather on lotion to keep the light from burning our skin. Light can be bad for you. Which makes me think that when Jesus tells his audience that they are salt and a city and light, that he's talking about a very specific salt, city, and light. Not just any old salt, city, and light, but a salt that enhances and preserves. A city that looks like the place God lives and a light that draws two people to that place God lives, a specific salt city and light indeed. Now, this may seem obvious to you, and maybe it is, but it's what caught my attention as I read today's portion of the Sermon on the Mount. They're all common things, salt, city, and light, familiar things, so familiar that we can assume that we know exactly what it is that Jesus means by them. And so our ancestors understood in Christ's words a prophetic reference to the establishment of a new nation on this continent. They used the language of light and of the city on a hill. America was both of those things, God's anointed and chosen people, called to reflect the light of God, to be that city that reflects God's glory, a nation of laws based on the laws handed down from God to Moses, a holy experiment. That's what it was, the founding of our nation, and one that needed a big laboratory to be carried out, a lab as big as the whole world, in fact. And so, like other such self-proclaimed chosen people, our ancestors saw it as their right, as their manifest destiny to exert their will in the world, encouraging the world's cooperation and submission wherever possible, and enforcing it um, when it was not. Now, this is clearly an oversimplified description of the American imperial project, I know. But it's important, I think, it's important to see the harm done when a people hears the words of Jesus, makes assumptions about those words, and then attempts to live out those assumptions no matter the consequences. Because, so the reasoning goes, salt and city and light are always good, right? And so are we, always good. Our intentions as a nation are always noble, even when our acts are flawed, our cause is just. We are exceptional in every way, God's own nation. Salt and city and light. 
the last best expression of human dignity and divine guidance in the history of the world. But salt and city and light can hurt you. Just ask African Americans, Native Americans, generations of people of color who learn quickly just how corrosive, how violent, how destructive, how oppressive these things can be. Ask the people of Nicaragua, El Salvador, Greece, Iran, Iraq, Vietnam, Guatemala, Colombia, Congo, Angola, Cambodia, Philippines, Chile, Argentina. They too know how much harm can be done by salt, city, and light. Ask the poor, the homeless, the outcasts, the illegal immigrants, the legal immigrants. They know how perilous it is to misread, to make assumptions about these words of Jesus. The consequences of mistaking Jesus' salt and city and light for any old salt, city, and light. And our contemporary political misreading of this text continues to wreck whole swaths of our population and to ruin whole portions of our world. And still our politicians describe us in city-on-a-hill-like terms. They use the language of exceptionalism to describe our nation. And still today, much harm is done in the name of Jesus by bad and unthinking readings of his words, by our human tendency to think we know more than we do, and then to act on what we think we know, and then to defend those actions to the death for the sake of resisting any deeper examination, any self-criticism, any questioning of the narrative that we have come to believe. Unless we take too much comfort in the fact that what I've just described is the evil done in Jesus' name by the empire, let's remember that the same kind of misreading and the same kind of harm can be done on the denominational or congregational level. On the extreme end, there's Westboro Baptist Church, whose pastor and patriarch, Fred Phelps, has made a living traveling the nation, telling people that God hates homosexuals and is punishing America because we don't hate gays well enough to suit him. That's a terrible and even evil misreading and misapplication of salt and city and light. But before we get too comfortable because of the obvious distance between us and Brother Phelps, let's think about our own assumptions and misreadings. Let's reckon with our own... Uh, temptation to assume that being the city on the hill is the same as inhabiting the moral high ground from which elevation we can look down on the benighted, needy world around us. Let's reckon with our own temptation to see ourselves as the bearers of light going out into a dark world in order to seek and to save those in need of what only we have. Let's consider our own participation in a kind of colonial mindset which equates the good news with civilizing the savages or with raising the poor so that they can join us in enjoying the privileges of life in the empire. In other words, the sins of empire, sins carried out under the mantle of Christianity, can also become the sins of smaller bodies, even congregations. And at the base of it all, I think, at the base of it all, the root of all of the assumptions and the actions and the defenses and the resistance to self-examination sits our old enemy, fear. Fear of admitting our mistakes, fear of questioning our assumptions, fear of being held responsible for our actions, fear of what might await us if we were to go back and back to the beginning and, and to do so stripped of our familiarity and our received wisdom and all that keeps us from listening more carefully to what it is that Christ is really inviting us to become. Not just any old salt or city or light, but a specific salt and a specific city and a specific light. Jesus calls us to be 
a specific kind of salt, a salt that enhances and preserves what is already good in what God has created. Salt is not the dish. Salt is what enhances the flavor of what's already on the plate, which suggests to me a kind of humility, right? An awareness that God is already at work in the world, that God is already at work bringing healing and salvation to the world around us. Our role is to reveal what might otherwise be hidden beneath the surface of things, to draw out the truth of God's saving acts, to be like salt and and gently season the world around us in order to make plain the wonder of what God is already doing, to testify, in other words, to bear witness to what we see or believe or hope is already going on through the power of the Holy Spirit, to discern the hand of God and to name it for what it is, and to do so with the kind of humble confidence that comes from having experienced that saving work in our own lives and in the life of our community, to tell the truth as we have experienced it about just how much God loves the world and just how far God is willing to go to save us from our worst selves. Like salt, we enhance, we reveal, we preserve all that we see and hear and believe through the eyes and ears of faith. What we offer is not the main dish produced in our own kitchens, but the touch of salt that speaks of the goodness of what God has prepared for us. Jesus calls us to be a specific kind of city, a city that's best known for its lack of defenses, its open borders, for the generosity of its invitation to enter and be made welcome, a city that does not segregate its members into enclaves according to those old imperial labels, but instead makes it its business to tear down walls that separate, to remove all the obstacles that hinder relationships, and to learn how to love with the same open-handedness that God revealed to us in Christ, a city that does not neglect or marginalize its weakest members, but instead shares freely with an eye toward eliminating such distinctions altogether, a city that welcomes the stranger, the outcast, the migrant, the foreigner, and gives them the best seats in the house, invites the telling of stories, and then makes way for the newest stories to find their place in the older stories and to have them be blended together into one narrative, a city that's a place of healing, of reconciliation, of peace, of joy, a city on a hill of grace, a mountain of mercy, a city on a high place that does not loom over the surrounding area but instead draws the eyes of everyone away from itself and toward the sun whose light is all the light that city needs. Jesus calls us to be a specific kind of light, a light that to begin with is clearly a reflection of a much older, much deeper, much more holy light, the light of the world. And again, I hear humility in this call and awareness that whatever light we may be, there's only a glimmer of the light of Christ that is already and always shining in our world. An awareness that does not diminish or devalue our own role in lighting the world, but instead holds it in right perspective, keeping us from getting too full of ourselves or too self-congratulatory or too big for our britches. An awareness that whatever light we shed is itself a gift from God, not ours to claim or proclaim or give away, except and only as we tell the truth about where it comes from. Our light points to the light of God, and that's its only purpose. 
And as such, our light should serve to draw others toward the larger light of Christ. Our light should be a sign of the healing that's available in Christ, of the forgiveness that's available in Christ, of the peace that's available in Christ, and so on, always and forever drawing others, not toward our own light, but toward the light of Christ. A light that, like salt, serves to reveal or bear witness to what God is up to in the world, and so reveals and bears witness to the deeper mystery that's going on all around us, the mystery of redemption. Salt, city, and light. These are the words Jesus used to describe what it is to be his disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a participant in the reign of God. It means being a specific kind of salt, a salt which enhances and preserves and so reveals the truth of God's saving work in the world. It means being a specific kind of city, a city which reveals what it means to live in God's reign, a community characterized by love, forgiveness, hospitality, reconciliation, healing, and hope. It means being a specific kind of light, a light which draws all people toward the light of Christ, a light born in an awareness that it does not begin in us or belong to us, but is instead from God and for God and points to God. Now, I began this sermon by arguing that we need to try our best to set aside our assumptions about these words, assumptions based on our own familiarity or on received wisdom picked up either from the church or from the wider Christian culture. And so now here at the end, let me admit that I have my own set of assumptions that I bring to the text. And I'd like to think they're good assumptions, theologically and biblically sound assumptions, assumptions that are less likely to make the world worse rather than better, but they are my assumptions, and they do impact the way that I read Jesus' words. And after all these years together, uh, well, let's be honest, you can likely recognize my assumptions a mile off. Um, I do have my own biases when it comes to describing what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and they very definitely were in play as I wrote this sermon. And so, as a good Mennonite should, let me not only admit to my assumptions, Anabaptist though they may be, let me also submit them to my community for testing. You've heard my reading of Jesus' words. You've heard my take on the problems inherent in reading Jesus' words through what I, in my own entirely biased way, have called the assumptions of empire. You've heard my caution regarding not letting ourselves too quickly off the hook, noting ways in which those imperial assumptions can infect bodies even as small as this congregation. You've heard my own interpretation of what Jesus means by calling us salt and a city on a hill and the light of the world. You've listened patiently as I spun out the implications of my own assumptions, assumptions I not only admit to having, but would endorse and even defend, if necessary, nonviolently, of course. But now it's community time. And so I ask you, I plead with you, to take all that I've said this morning with a grain of salt. Pun absolutely intended, um, lame as it is. Not, uh, not automatically dismissing um, what I've said, but taking it for what it is. What I hear when I listen to Jesus preach to his first followers. My reading, my interpretation. Listen to those things and then do the work of community. Compare what I heard and said with what you hear and what you would say. Talk to me, talk to your sisters and brothers about what you hear Jesus saying. Argue with me or with each other, nonviolently, of course. Argue with Matthew. Argue even with Jesus. 
He was a Jewish rabbi. He can take it. <laughs> keep on arguing, thinking, reading, rereading, listening, talking, pondering, questioning, exploring. And then keep it up for the rest of your lives. This is the work of community. This is what it means to be a participant in the work of God, a member of the body of Christ, a citizen in the reign of God. It means paying attention, calling your biases and assumptions into question, allowing and inviting your sisters and brothers to do the questioning when you've become complacent or too confident, wrestling with the text, wrestling with each other, trusting that in the process we will become ever more salty, ever more like a city on a hill, and ever brighter as we open ourselves to the light of Christ. So, sisters and brothers, you've read the text, you've listened to me go on and on, now take it from here. Go on. Have at it. You're the salt of the earth. You're a city on a hill. You're the light of the world. So go on. Get to work learning how to be all of those things and more as you keep following the way that Jesus set before us. May God make it so. Amen.